Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 139. We'll conclude the book of Amos with a brief summary of chapters 8 and 9 and follow with some thoughts about everyone being exceptional. Chapter 8 begins with more visions. The three visions Amos laid on us in the previous episode were pretty epic, and this episode continues in the vein of the last one from episode 138, a riddle. In our case, the riddle works because of wordplay. Amos sees what Safaria translates as a basket of figs, but the Hebrew phrase kluv kaitz could be rendered literally as summer basket, a basket used to dry fruit in the sun. And kaitz sounds like kits, which means doom. So when God asks Amos what he sees, and Amos says in the subsequent verse that he sees a basket of figs, God launches right into this reply, quote, The hour of doom has come, Baha kits, for my people Israel, I will not pardon them again. You get it? The kites, kits, kind of sounds the same-ish. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. That one went over as well as the, the dramatic reading of a comic strip from two episodes ago. The hour of doom will come for the obvious reasons. Light will become darkness. Mirth will become mourning because the people are corrupt and wanton. There will be famine in the land, but not just for food. Quote, Men shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Chapter 9 begins with the fifth vision, which differs substantively from the previous four. It's not a vision per se or a riddle. God appears directly to Amos, quote, I saw my Lord standing by the altar and he said, strike the capitals so that the thresholds quake and make an end of the first of them all. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. Not one of them shall escape and not one of them shall survive. Oh, damn. As Amos wraps up his book, he drives home a point that he made in an earlier chapter that in the eyes of God, all humans, all nations are equal. Quote, to me, O Israelites, you are just like the Ethiopians, declares the Lord. True, I brought Israel up from the land of Egypt, but also the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kir. No one gets special treatment. Do you know who my father is? Um, well, yes, Amos does, and it doesn't matter. If you sin, you'll be punished, no matter who you are. And so, when Amos reaches the end of his book, he does so with a little bit of encouragement. Quote, In that day, I will set up again the fallen booth of David. I will mend its breaches and set up its ruins anew. I will build it firm as in the days of old. Well, that's good news. A return to the land and to the good old days, making Judah great again. And on that uplifting note, here endeth the lesson. If you scour all the pages of the Tanakh, you'll never find reference to many things that many folks expect should be in the Tanakh. Like that story of Avraham in his father's idol shop, you know, when he smashes the idols and and then tries to get his dad to realize that idols aren't really alive, you know. But I'm actually referring to like specific phrases, specific concepts. For example, the Torah, with all of its commandments and rules about practically every aspect of social relations, farming, marriage, near offerings, sex, skin diseases, the Torah never mentions abortion. You know, that's a pretty hot button issue in North America, especially among fundamentalists and evangelicals, but the Torah never discusses it. <laughs> 
Or how about the phrase, the promised land? You know, you hear that an awful lot. God speaks at length to Avraham about going to the land that I will show you, yada, 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 and making a commitment to give the land to Avraham's descendants. But the actual phrase, promised land, nope, you won't find it. And then there's the phrase, chosen people. According to the Tanakh, God uh, evolves a special relationship with the Jewish people who are described as holy or a special treasure or a kingdom of priests. And God speaks of, of singling the Jews out. But the phrase chosen people, nope, you won't find it. And it's a subject of some controversy within the Jewish community if we should even use this kind of language because it's fomented so much trouble for us in the past and in the present. Because when you say to someone, I'm chosen, especially if you say it with a tone, you know, like, oh, I'm chosen, that someone will probably react with some level of envy that could easily morph into resentment, hatred, and inevitably violence. I hate you guys. You guys are assholes. Especially Kenny. I hate him the most. Okay, now let's try one all together. And in a North American context, where everyone is equal in the eyes of the law, <coughs> and it's definitely not cool to employ the rhetoric of chosenness. It could get you called a racist, which you kind of would be if you claimed that God picked your people over all others. And if you're white and you said something like that, well, that's kind of the definition of white supremacy. So not surprising that Jews don't say stuff like that pretty much anymore. But what folks have been saying for as long as I can remember is not that we are chosen, but that everybody hates us. And it usually comes up in the context of talking about Jews and inevitably Israel. Nothing we slash Israel does is ever good enough for the anti-Semites. Israel can never get a fair shake in the lamestream media. It's always the poor Palestinians and the big fat killer Israelis. Tomorrow, Israel could meet every demand of BDS and Hamas, and it wouldn't be good enough. They could appoint Noam Chomsky prime minister, and he would still find something to complain about. Everyone hates us. The UN is filled with hostile Arabs and all those countries enthrall to Arab oil. That Kenyan socialist Barack Obama and all those anti-Semites, they tried to sell Israel out to their enemies, but they failed. And the Europeans, well, what do you expect from them with their history? Everyone is against us. But if you step back from the increasingly frothy rhetoric around this for a minute, saying everyone hates us isn't all that different from saying God picked us. In fact, it's the logical next part of that sentence. It's kind of a neurotic form of exceptionalism. Except the thing about exceptionalism is that it's completely unexceptional. Everyone claims to be exceptional. Just like all those folks in Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Can every child be above average? Can claims of exceptionality be taken seriously when the United States, Australia, France, Germany, Greece, India, Pakistan, Imperial Japan, Iran, Israel, North Korea, South Africa, Spain, Britain, the former Soviet Union, the present Russian Confederation, the European Union, and Thailand have all made similarly grandiose claims about their homelands? Historians would also include historic empires such as China, the Ottoman Empire, ancient Rome, and ancient India, along with a wide range of minor kingdoms in history to that list. If everyone is above average, nay, exceptional, then kinda no one is. 
And if you ask Amos, he'd say that we should probably interrogate who that everyone is that supposedly hates us and whether we're not overstating things to make a point about how they can't deal with our chosen amazingness. But we don't have to imagine what Amos might say about this matter. We can look at what he does say. Quote, To me, O Israelites, you are just like the Ethiopians, declares the Lord. True, I brought Israel up from the land of Egypt, but also the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kir. Did you catch that? The seminal moment in Jewish history, the moment when we left Egypt as slaves, liberated by God's mighty hand, led into the desert to receive the Torah at Sinai, an event we commemorate each year around the family table with a lavish meal and highly choreographed ritual event. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Well, it's not exactly like that, but that was one of the finest lines ever delivered by Raul Julia on film. Nonetheless, you get the point. This defining moment in our history for God was no different than God bringing up the Philistines. So don't get such a swollen head about it. Whether God expects a lot from everyone or not, God, through the prophets, expects a lot from us. And we shouldn't think, just because we think we have a special relationship, that somehow God will let our terrible behavior slide, because A, terrible behavior is terrible behavior, regardless of the perpetrator. And more importantly, B, we don't have a special relationship. We just have to grind it out and be good, because being good is hard work. And we don't get any discounts because of Avraham or Yaakov or Moshe or Maimonides. So, let's get to work, shall we? If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 140 when we begin and complete the single chaptered fourth book in the book of 12, the book of Obadiah.